Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Two weeks ago, Jess and I went to Cape Cod, and uh, we found out that Cape Cod has their own baseball league, the Cape Cod League. It's, it's college students who play during the summertime. Has anybody heard of this before? The, okay. They, yeah, they, they use wooden bats. They uh, they play as if they're professionals, but they're, they're college students. And uh, right there in the town of Brewster, Massachusetts, which is where we were staying, the Brewster Whitecaps were they had a ball game, and so uh, we went down and we saw a little bit of the game, and it was it was just so cool. Um, I actually got to see uh, a home run. Like I was standing right there by the fence, and a student from Florida State smacked one over the, the fence. And uh, to to hear a wooden bat home run like within you know like so close that was pretty cool because um, you know in the stadium or on TV you miss some of that effect um, but anyways I got a T-shirt actually just got it for me so I'm representing the Brewster Whitecaps today <laughs> and we have some popcorn waiting for us at fellowship time I hope you're excited for that but first we have a sermon and him to sing, and, uh, and then we can get to some fun and popcorn time. So yes, um, as, as Tom mentioned, we are talking, we are learning about Moses today. We're going to start a new series uh, for the next couple of weeks, Lord willing. We're going to be walking through the life of Moses. And Moses, he, he's a, often a, you know considered you know a well-known character from the Old Testament, right? Uh, he displays both relational connection with God, but he also represents God. He, he's, he, he has responsibility on, on God's behalf um, as his servant. So, yes, we're going to be learning uh, through and about the life of Moses. Um, but before we get on the Moses train, uh, it is important that uh, I, I want to lay down some track. I do want to teach a little bit. Uh, if you don't mind, we're going to jump right into some teaching I want to talk about covenant and identity. Some, some framework here. Covenant and identity. You see, when we look at the whole story of the Bible, uh, a very important early milestone, we find it in Genesis 12, 15, 17, those chapters right in there. God makes this covenant with Abram. We talked about it a couple weeks ago. God makes a covenant with, with Abram, later known as Abraham. God wants to bless all the families on earth, and he chooses one family to bless the rest. They are the bearer of the blessing. Now, the bread and butter of a covenantal relationship, it revolves around two key concepts. Identity and obedience. Two key concepts that revolve around covenant relationship is identity and obedience. If you enter into a new covenantal relationship, guess what? Your identity is going to change based on that relationship. Likewise, if you enter into a new covenantal relationship, your obedience, your behavior, your lifestyle will change based on this relationship. Okay? You are not an autonomous creature. You're not a self-ruler. But because of who you are, because of this relationship that you are now in, you are going to live a certain way. Throughout, let's uh, do some examples here. 
high school students, they just finished up their school school year. Hopefully, if you're not still in school, um, I think, yeah, all the schools are out at this point in July. But, you know, they graduate, they go to college. You make a decision to go to college. You are entering into a new relationship, like you sign with the school or whatever they call it. And now as a student, you are submitting to the rigors of the educational process. You are, your identity is a college student. And in order to um, be a student, you have to live up to expectations. You have to go to school. You have to go to class. You have to do the thing. When you move into an apartment building, you sign a contract. And you are entering into a new relationship. Now as a tenant, that's that's part of your identity there, you are going to have to live according to the building's rules. One more. When you sign with the Philadelphia Phillies, you become a member of that team. That club's resources become your resources. And now there's expectations and there's accountability that you know that you have to live up to. You have to perform, you have to practice, you have to play. Right? Not all covenants and contracts have the same weight, of course, but I hope you get the gist. Whether it's marriage, being a student, a worker, a tenant, in general, covenantal relationships. They impact who you are, your identity, and they also impact your behavior, your obedience. Let's get a little bit theological before we go to Moses. In the Christian faith, we say, I do, to Jesus. We believe in our hearts and confess Jesus as Lord. And then through faith, we enter into this new covenant of of grace, this, this covenantal relationship with God. We're adopted we're children of God. That's how the Bible talks about us. We are in a covenantal relationship. And we must understand that our identity comes from God the Father as we have faith in the Son. God is the one who defines us. God is the one who made us. God is the one who remakes us. God is the one who gives us our identity. And now, because of who we are, as children of God, we are empowered We are free to obey. The power of the Holy Spirit, we get to walk this Christian life out. We are free to obey. I'm a child of God. Of course I'm going to submit to Jesus and the gospel. I'm going to go out and do all this good stuff called the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And I'm going to practice the ways of Jesus. Not because I have to, but because I get to. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the gospel. But here's the thing. As I've come to discover in my own life, time and time and time and time, and just keep repeating that for a a while, as I have come to discover time and time again in my own life, and then also, like this fall, I'm coming up on 10 years of being in ministry, the previous church plus this church. Like, a whole decade of my life, I've been in, you know, quote, professional ministry. And it's like something that I've seen so much The barrier issues are knots, are tangles. It's traced back. So so often it's traced back to a misunderstanding of our covenantal relationship with God. We misunderstand who God is. We misunderstand who we are. And ultimately we do inappropriate acts of what we think is, quote, obedience. Now what does all this have to do with, with Moses? Elijah asked, 
Moses, for us, he becomes a good character to look at. Because he's not introduced to us as a guy who's like just so solid in his relationship with God. He's not dialed in with his representation, with his responsibility. He's not presented to us, he's not introduced to us uh, as this priestly, nation-leading lawgiver of, of Israel. But we find him as a wandering shepherd on the far side of the wilderness. We find him as a man who needs God. So as you listen in, I would prefer that you keep thinking about identity throughout the story today. Listen to the Moses story. We're going to take a look at the origin story here. But keep asking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? So if you're ready, let's jump into Moses. We're in the second book of the Bible, the scroll of, of Exodus. And uh, yeah, the, the backstory, Abraham's family, um, as the book of Genesis ends, they end up in Egypt because of the famine. And I'll sort of just hit the highlights. You know, they're, they're foreigners in Egypt. They are an immigrant people group. And what happens is they're blessed. And they are fruitful, and they multiply, and they grow. Now, as time goes on, um, we have an exchange of leadership. We have new pharaohs. A new pharaoh is in town. And really what we see in Exodus chapter 1 is that this new pharaoh is fear-driven. He looks at all these immigrant uh, Hebrews here in his, in his country. And one of his fears, he's like, man, like, again, this is... This an ancient story in this ancient world. It's still applicable today, of course, but he's like, man, if, if war breaks out and if they decide to join with our enemy, that's going to be a nightmare. Like, this is ridiculous. And so, this Pharaoh is fear-driven and he, he makes moves to oppress them. We're not exactly sure, but somehow, some way, the Hebrews, they end up in Egyptian slavery. They are oppressed. And real quick, there's sort of like a three-step process that Pharaoh is, is chasing after here. The first one is, yeah, he throws them into forced labor. And the Hebrews, they become city builders. Okay? They, they, are, they are workers. They're put to work. But it's like the more that oppression happens, the more babies come out. Like that's how the narrator puts it. Now the Egyptians, they're just they're getting overloaded and they become ruthless overlords. So that was step one. Step two is uh, Pharaoh, he, he tries to do some behind-the-scenes killing. Okay? He asks the midwives, hey, go ahead. Baby boys, snuff them out. Keep, keep the girls. The midwives are godly. And they reject this Pharaoh. They go against his orders. So finally, step three is he makes it public. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. Let every girl live. All right? it's, it's a public order. All right? So from a bird's eye view, we see this murderous event, a tragedy. It's despicable. It's appalling. And then the, the narration zooms in. And then we get a more of a feet-on-the-ground look at this story. We zoom into the tribe of Levi. 
So Abraham's family is divided up into tribes at this point. We're looking at the tribe of Levi. We see a dad named Amram. Mom's named Jochebed. And two kids named Mariam. Mariam? Is that that? Okay. And Aaron. So Miriam and Aaron, okay? And so um, they already have two kids, and then they have another on the way. And they give birth to a healthy, beautiful baby boy. And this is right when this federal order is coming down. Uh, you know, this, this baby is supposed to be thrown into the Nile River. And so mom and dad, they hide the baby for three months. For 90 days, they're hiding the baby. They build a basket eventually because they just can't hide this baby anymore. And they build a basket or an ark. They coat it with tar and pitch. And then they go out to the Nile River and they place the basket, the baby in the basket, the basket in the Nile. They place it in the reeds. And I'm reminded of what Somali, British uh, poet and writer Warsan Shire once wrote. No one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. It's not supposed to be this way. You're not supposed to be putting your 90-day-old infant son in a basket and then just placing it in the reeds. You know, we're, we're nearby some rivers. Schuylkill. You're not putting your baby in the Schuylkill to Delaware. Can you imagine? Like, that's, that's what you have to do. As the story goes, Pharaoh's daughter is down by the, the, the Nile. She rescues the baby. Sister Miriam is there, and she's like, hey, I can find a nursing mother for you. I can hook you up. I know a lady. And so uh, this baby ends up, gets to go home, back with mom. Mom gets to nurse the baby probably for two to three years. Um, but the pharaoh, pharaoh's daughter, adopted this baby boy. She recognized and could, could tell that Moses was, was uh, Hebrew. But she named this baby Moses, or Moshe, which sounds like drawing out in the Hebrew language. Or in Egyptian, Moshe sounds like born. But then here's the twist in this whole story. Moses floats right into Pharaoh's household. This, this evil Pharaoh who once Moses did, here comes Moses floating right on in. So he's adopted. He's raised in the palace. He receives a prince's education. All of the wisdom of the Egyptians. Moses gets to learn that. And then there's a massive time jump in the narrative. Moses is older, and he's about 40 years old. And he leaves the palace, and he goes out, and he observes the Egyptian oppression over the Hebrews. The forced labor. Moses is aware that he is Hebrew, but he is up close now to what's going on. He sees it with his own eyes. And, he, and maybe like in a, in a corner where there's not much going on, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. This Egyptian is striking him. And so Moses, as a prince of Egypt, probably has the power and authority to step up and, and do something. But he's also a Hebrew. And maybe there's that gravity of like being a brother's keeper. Like, 
ooh, I should do something here. So he looks this way, and he looks that way. Nobody's around. And he moves in, and ends up killing the Egyptian. And I believe this was, it was his intention to kill. I mean, he looked both ways. He made sure nobody was around. But also, he buried the body in the sand. Is that, are you guys hearing the ringing a little bit? Okay, I'm hearing a ringing. I'll keep moving on, sorry. So Moses is a murderer. He takes the life of an Egyptian. He definitely goes out of, out of court here, out of bounds. It's not supposed to be this way. The next day, he goes out again, perhaps even to the same location. He, he heads out again. What's going through Moses' mind? We don't know. But he ends up finding out that people know that Moses is a murderer. Moses killed a guy. And eventually Pharaoh finds out. And Pharaoh is not cool with this. Pharaoh is like, I'm going to go ahead and kill Moses. So there is a, um, a death order on Moses' head. Moses runs away. He becomes a fugitive. And he flees Egypt. And he goes pretty far. He goes to Midian, which is the northwest Arabian Peninsula. And he hangs out in the region of the Midianites. Who are the Midianites? They are descendants. They are, they, they are distant relatives to the Hebrews. So Moses is there, and he sits down by a well, and these seven shepherdesses come by, and they are harassed by other shepherds. And so Moses, you, know, you have to imagine, he, he looks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. <laughs> he, he stands up for these shepherd ladies. He drives the, the bullies away, and then he ends up watering the, the sheep. The seven shepherdesses, he waters all their sheep. Now these seven shepherdesses are the seven daughters of the priest of Midian. We find out his name is Jethro. And it ends, you know, kind of fast forwarding here. Moses is, is invited into the household, and one of the, the shepherd ladies uh, names of Korah, you know, Moses you know, wink, wink, you know, falls in love, gets married, they have a birth, uh, they, 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 they give birth to a son, and they name their firstborn son uh, Gershom, or uh, Gershom, which means like stranger or foreigner here. And so I wonder, every time Mo Moses had to call his son, he's reminded, I'm a foreigner here, I'm a stranger Quick personal story. I have some relatives that have some interesting names, like a, a great, great, great uncle or something. Uh, the guy in my family tree, one of his, his name is Pleasant, because when mom gave birth to him, he was a pleasant baby, and so he is named Pleasant. And then I also have like a great, 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 great aunt or something like that. Somewhere there, there's a limb in my family tree. I, ha I have a relative named Wealthy. Because when mom gave birth to Wealthy, she felt wealthy. So she named her daughter Wealthy, right? So sometimes, you know, even in, you know, our century or so, you know, like we still, we still name people after experiences or what we're thinking or feeling, things like that. So in Exodus 2.23, the narrator gives some extra content. And I'll just go ahead and read it again here. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. 
So that's good news. But the Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out. And their cry for help uh, because of their slavery, it went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Here's the thing. God is still bound to this covenant made with Abraham. God only knows why so much time has passed by. But it's at a high point. The enslavement, the forced labor, the oppression, it's not supposed to be this way. People are crying out. Now the God of the Bible is not this detached, nebulous truth giver. Some, some sort of idea maker in the sky. God is a personal God. And he reveals and he relates to human, humanity through experiences. Not just like abstract theological knowledge. God is known and bound to this family. There is a covenant that has been made. A covenant has been cut. Abraham's family is crying out to God. And God is taking this personally. Which now brings us to chapter 3. Moses is about 80 years old now. That's right, a lot of life has been lived. That royal life, that cushy upbringing, that was a long time ago. And now we find Moses, about 80 years old. He's an employee, so to speak, of his father-in-law. He's taking care of, of sheep, but he's a shepherd. It's not his sheep, it's his father-in-law's sheep. But he takes the sheep to the far side of the wilderness. That's what you got to do. You got to keep the sheep on the move. Water, food, protection. You got to keep watch. Now, a good shepherd will know like what's going on in the horizon. Is the desert the same? Is there something different? Well, one day, by Horeb, also known as. Uh, Mount Sinai, the narrator gives us a wink, like, um, hey, this is the mountain of Elohim. Later on in the story, this is going to be a special place. Um, Moses does see something different. He sees this desert shrub, a bush, it's on fire, but it's not being consumed. And he's like, okay, let's go check it out. So he grabs Fluffy and <laughs> heads over to the burning bush. And we're told that it was the angel of Yahweh that was causing this sight. But as you look at the text, it's almost as if Yahweh was waiting for Moses to turn aside. He was waiting for Moses to notice. And then Yahweh calls out, Moses, Moses. And Moses replies, here I am. God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. In other words, hey, this is where heaven and earth are meeting right now. The place right here, at the moment, is not like everything else. This is a special place. This is sacred. God is speaking to Moses through a burning bush. So I just want to talk quickly about fire. It's a symbol for God. Fire burns. Uh, it is dangerous. But it's also warm and it provides light. It repels, but it also attracts. You know, that's that's our God. God is transcendent. He is holy, mysterious. God is other. God is dangerous. 
But God is also imminent. He's, he's here. He's present. He's available. He's relatable. He's responsive. God introduces himself to Moses. Hey, Mo. Hey, Moses. I'm the God of your, your father, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. In other words, I'm the God of your family. I'm the God of your people. I'm the God of your ancestors. Moses is well aware of the Egyptian pagan gods, all of them. Hebrews have one God. I belong to you. I belong to your family. I know who you are, Moses. I know the legacy that you come from. I know the covenant that was made with Abraham. God knows Moses, but the question is, does Moses know Moses? Who is this guy? Moses is a Hebrew, which means he is from the people group chosen by God to be the bearer of the blessing. As Leslie Newbigin puts it, election is for privilege, or sorry, election is not for privilege, but responsibility. The Hebrews have this responsibility. They are blessed to be a blessing. Therefore, Moses, he is born into this family that has calling and responsibility just all over it. However, they're in an enslaved people group. Moses was supposed to be killed as a baby. He was a foundling. He was adopted. He was a prince of Egypt. He was educated. He's a murderer. He's a fugitive. He's a foreigner. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a son-in-law. He's a shepherd. And now he is standing on holy ground before a holy God. Who is Moses supposed to be? What is Moses supposed to be? What is he supposed to be doing? Is, that, is this actually what his life is supposed to be about? And God just cuts through that thick layer of, of jumble of, 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 of his long story and his complex identity. God calls out Moses, Moses. Maybe for the first time in a long time, Moses can just simply say, Here I am. God meets Moses where he's at. He introduces himself. Dear Moses, I am the God of your family. Dear Moses, Father Abraham had many sons, and you are one of them. So Moses, he, he hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. And I'm sure this isn't due to you know, the holiness of God, the whole, like, burning bush, and God's voice, and the holiness of God, absolutely, I'm sure that is a big part of it. <coughs> but I just wonder, sometimes we hang our heads, or we drop our eyes, not so much because of the other, but because of how unsure we are ourselves. His past experiences with so social separation, I wonder how much of that persistent, internalized fear he carries around due to insecurity. He's filled with guilt, perhaps. Years of isolation. What do they call it? Imposter syndrome. The voice of doubt. Always playing in the background. Maybe as a prince of Egypt, he was like, 
man, I'm going to build my own city. Maybe he had dreams. I don't know. It wasn't supposed to be this way. The good news is, God sees something different in Moses than what Moses sees in Moses. The God who sees the oppression, the, the slavery, God hears the voice of the people, God remembers the covenant, and God is acting. And he's choosing Moses. He's calling Moses out. And as we will come to see, Lord willing, next week, God has this enormous history-making, world-changing mission for Moses. God is going to send Moses to lead this whole people group. Really, a homeless nation. Uh, he is going to lead these people out of bondage from one of the superpowers of the world. Can you imagine? The, the, the guy who escaped infanticide, um, uh, the guy who spent 40 years as Egyptian royalty, the guy who spent about 40 years in the desert as a shepherd, living the desert life, right? This is the guy... But this is the guy who God, who God is choosing. Now remember, the bread and butter of covenantal relationships is identity and obedience. But here's the thing. Before Moses can do anything, before Moses is free to serve Yahweh, Moses needs to have his identity restored. Before Moses can be the Moses that you and I know and love, his identity needs to be remade. Come back into the covenantal relationship with God. And I strongly agree with author Mike Breen, who's a big help with this sermon series. Mike Breen says this, Identity is always given from the outside before it becomes a reality inside. Meaning, we cannot make or remake ourselves. We need to receive what God says about us, we need to receive what God says about us. And the more that that is planted, and the more that that takes root, the more we emerge and grow as the people God made us to be. From the outside in, God speaks over us. From the outside in, God speaks over Moses. Moses, Moses, you're not alone. You belong to a big family. You belong to me. And this is why, brothers and sisters, it is so important that we, too, join in with what God does, and we also speak words of identity, words of affirmation, words of belonging over one another. I agree with author Kevin Burgess. Our faith is strengthened or weakened based on what we hear coming out of the mouths of others. Speak life. When identity starts to take root inside of you. When the sense of belonging starts to make sense, it starts to take root inside of you. When you know that you belong to God who loves you. When you know you belong to a people who love you, who are there for you, are in your corner. When you know that. When that identity formation happens, you are remade and strengthened within covenant. You are free to be who you really are. Our freedom comes from, from Christ. Your Christ's identity emerge, emerges. And you know what? Jesus looks so good on you. Jesus looks so good on you. And so, as we land the plane here this morning, what's your story? Who are you? Where are you? 
you think your life is filled with a bunch of waste. Like, just a string of a bunch of unplanned things. Can you identify people, things, experiences that perhaps have disoriented you in or from your gospel identity? Is God calling your name? What emotions do you feel? When you hear that the pressure is off, you don't have to create your own identity. Remember, identity comes from God. He calls you this child, and then you are empowered to live that out in obedience because of who you are. How do you feel uh, when you hear that God is personal? He wants to hang out with you. He's not this abstract moral compass in the sky. How do you feel that you are blessed to be a blessing? That God has purpose? That God has mission for you? Don't use an experience as an excuse. Don't use age as an excuse. Lots of excuses. God, if He calls you, He has a purpose, He has a mission for you. And the more that we come to know God, the more that we come to know ourselves. And this means we need to know God. We need to have contact time. We need to interact with God. And so, may I encourage you this week, may I ask you, how can you incorporate burning bush time with God this week? God reveals himself to us each day. Wink, wink. Scripture is a big way that he does that. But God gets our attention in other ways, like through experiences and conversations and Maybe a song on the radio, but how can you be attentive and aware of what God is saying to you, saying to you this week? Like Moses in the wilderness, sometimes life looks mundane. It looks the same. Are you noticing, hey, is there something different going on? What's that thing on fire over there? Let's go check it out. Brothers and sisters, may we all be filled with joy that God welcomes us. We were lost, but he meets us where we're at. He brings us in. He knows your story. He knows your story more than you do. He knows all the layers of your heart. That's our God. He is for us. He is with us. He does not forsake us. Let's close in prayer.